is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to episode 123 of the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I am joined by Paddy Finn, and we are going to be talking all about Kickstarter. Uh, Kickstarter for indie authors, how to use it, how to run one, the types of goals you should do, and all of that good stuff. But first, to last week's question, which was, how are you advocating for your creative self? And I'm sad to say, no one commented on that question, um, which I don't know whether that means no one is advocating for them, their creative selves, but I hope that's not what it means. Um, yes, I, I knew I knew asking that question, it was a hard one. So um, I wasn't expecting loads of responses, but guys, please, please be advocating for yourselves, uh, in particular, your creative selves. All right, so this week's question is a little easier. Have you ever run or backed a Kickstarter? If so, what was it about? Tell me, let me know in the comments. Re book recommendation of the week this week is Boyfriend Material by Alexis Hall. Now, I was recommended this one uh, by a mutual lover of uh, gay and, and lesbian and sapphic fiction. Um, so yes, thank you very much for uh, that recommendation, Samira. Um, and now I am re recommending it to all of you lovely listeners. So Boyfriend Material by Alexis Hall. This book was so funny. It's uh, fake dating. It's about a kind of um, uh, washed up rock star's kid uh, who is constantly in sort of low grade newspapers and, and the tabloids and stuff and a lawyer, vegetarian lawyer. And they, they end up fake dating for various reasons. And of course, I'm sure you all know what happens in a fake dating. But the reason I loved it is because I loved the characterization. I loved the romance. Ugh, I was just swooning over the romance and it was so funny and I also loved the voice so I would highly 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 recommend that you read that book okay personal update wow it feels like we're like rushing through the the intro this week but anyway personal update wow <laughs> it has been a fucking week let me tell you um so Friday morning, Atlas, last, so the last episode that I recorded, I recorded a week ago, so uh, Friday last week, which was, I don't know, like the 21st, something like that, um, and Atlas tested positive that morning. Not fun. Um, he has been off school all week. We have managed to do some homeschooling, uh, and there's been some tech time as well, so I can get some semblance of work done. Um, and then uh, on Sunday, I was holding my son, and I slipped, and I essentially... Uh, did a partial, partial dislocation of my kneecap and as I swung back round I snapped my leg back in so the cap the kneecap went straight back in but obviously it left um thankfully it was it didn't stay dislocated for long so I didn't do a huge amount of damage but I have still got residual uh, ligament damage my MCL ligaments damaged um and yeah, I've been on crutches uh, for part of this week, which has not been great. Um, I'm sort of finding that I can now hobble around the house uh, without the crutches, but I can't, like any, 
length of time is uh, tricky. And uh, Atlas lost the remote this yesterday, and I was sort of getting up and down, up and down, trying to look for it, and that just really buggered my knee. The the up and down is not great. So yeah, I think um, <laughs> despite my disillusions that I was going to be healed in a week. Yeah, really not. So um, <laughs> I'm just hoping that uh, I can go back to Taekwondo before too long. Thankfully, my next door neighbour is a sports therapist. So I'm going to throw money at him and demand that he fix me. Uh, and fingers crossed I'll be back to normal. I also found this week really tricky mentally. Um, I have been trapped in my house since Sunday and I don't cope very well with that um, and I have also found it really difficult because I am not going to hit my original deadline of finishing Trey and getting it off to the ed editor by the end of this month. With Atlas off I have not got an awful lot done this week um, and that just threw like my achiever mentality out the window. I just I don't cope very well if I don't get to work. Um, and it's because work is a thing that I love and I love building my business and growing my business and it brings me joy. And if I don't get to do that, I get like very, <laughs> very down very quickly. So um, especially if that means missing a target. So um, I was in such a festering hole of a place that I decided to book coaching and oh my goodness, like the strengths coaches are amazing and really pulled my mindset back out. And I've now set some really big goals and things are like moving and changing in the background. I have made some decisions. Um, I've outsourced a bit more. Um, and I think my life might look very different by the end of this year than it does right now. Um, but yeah, that is probably as much as I can say right now, which ugh, I know this is such a dick move, but like I just had to, I think one of the things that were was putting me down was I hadn't made a decision on something and um, I was suffering from decision fatigue basically because instead of just making the decision, I was going round and round in a circle. And the other thing, about me is that like my learner and my input and just like my general geeky school girlness loves to take in information and so I, I will always do the webinars and I will read the non-fiction books and I will do all of that and I will listen to opinions and what other people are doing but then I struggle because sometimes I take those things to heart a bit too much and um, essentially one of my strengths is called self-assurance and self-assurance combined with strategic I really just have to make those decisions by myself like I have to be driven from like internal and so I was paying a bit too much attention to the outside world I think and I'd forgotten and felt a bit lost um, about who I was what I was doing like my reasons why I was doing these things so yeah, it has been a really tough mental week, I think, but I'm in a much better place today and very excited uh, for like working on this particular goal. So yes, things are looking up and I've now set a new uh, deadline for, uh, and I'm not going to tell you what, so you'll just have to wait and see, but um, I'm hoping I can get Trey done and finished very, very soon. And then I will be shifting into a whole new kind of mindset and arena and um yes I will be things things will be different like <laughs> so I'm very very excited I will update you more on that uh, when I know more okay so the rebel of the week this week is Rick War I hope that's 
how you say your surname? Uh, so Rick says, oh, uh, Rick actually had some very uh, lovely things to say about the podcast. So thank you very much for those uh, lovely words. I appreciate it. So Rick says, I have always been a creative person. I started out with drawing as a kid, but moved into music as I went to high school in the early 70s when everyone tried guitar. I kept going, eventually taking up playing bass, joining the local band culture and getting into a couple of bands where, for a little while, I tried to make a living. I also started writing fantasy as a teenager and wrote half a dozen books between then and my late 20s. I wanted to be a rock star, but realised what a rough ride it would be to pursue that dream, and lacked both the confidence in my abilities and the mental toughness to survive the chaos of the music biz. I was offered a job at the telephone company and took it, with its steady wage and a pension. I kept writing in the mornings and finally, around book book six, snagged a great agent, who shopped my manuscript around the big publishers in New York. It didn't sell. Truth to tell, it wasn't a very good book, but I was pretty much crushed, so I quit writing, plonked away uh, at my day job for 40 years, doing the right things, the expected things, and met my wife and had three wonderful children, so it's not all bad. I did keep playing music for myself to keep the creativity alive. I retired at 60 with no intention of doing much beyond playing some music by myself still and slowly falling to pieces, as all good retirees do. But then I found a jam session to join. Suddenly, I was out playing songs with other others and singing. Then I had another thought. I wanted to write again. So I educated myself on what was going on in the industry and started to bang out a story, one I'd had um, ideas for in my 20s. An epic fantasy about a minstrel whose music creates magic. Realising a single book wouldn't do much, it became a trilogy with prequels. I found a great local writing criti- uh, local critique group to workshop it all. I published it over the last few months and with book three and a prequel that the minstrel plays in the book just for fun, but also stuck them up on YouTube. Oh, sorry. I also wrote and recorded... Um, I don't know what happened here. I completely missed the lines. I published it over the last few months with book three and a prequel going live in January 2022. I'm working on the final book, another prequel, to be released in April. I also wrote and recorded all of the music that the minstrel plays in the book just for fun and also stuck those up on YouTube and SoundCloud in case my readers want to hear them. I am sure they will. So there it is. I stepped off the bus at age 60 and stepped into my dream life. I haven't sold a lot of books yet, but I'm still working on the marketing pieces. I'm thinking about my next series, doing research so it will be more on point genre-wise. Nobody is ever too old to pick it up. And I can tell you, it makes the retired life a lot more satisfying. This, And you are never too old to rebel either. You, um, yeah, I just love that you have finally gone back and picked up the proverbial pen and you are doing the thing that has been always in your heart. So yes, I absolutely love that rebellion. If you would like to be a rebel of the week, please, please do send in your story. It can be any kind of rebellion, big, small, or something in between. You can email your story, your rebel story, to Becca um, over on rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com. Okay, no new patrons this week, but a gigantic thank you to all of my existing patrons. If you would like to support the show and get early access to all of the episodes, as well as bonus content from as little as $2 a month, you can by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. And um, at the rebel readers level, 
we are doing a film night because the book that we have chosen this month, um, The Hating Game, is also a movie. So we are all going to watch the movie together on a group Zoom, which I think is going to be super fun. So yes, if you would like to come and join us to do that, then you are welcome to. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Pro Writing Aid. I'm going to play a word from one of my amazing patrons, Lynn Reed Aubrey, who uses Pro Writing Aid. So let's have a listen to why Lynn loves Pro Writing Aid. Hello, my name is Lynn, and I'm an author writing in science fiction fantasy. And I use Pro Writing Aid a lot. I highly recommend it. It is an amazing program and you can use it at any point while you're creating something. I usually use uh, Scrivener or Word or a handy napkin to write my ideas down. And then once I get it down on the page, I, I start editing and I use ProWritingAid to help pull out those weird grammar things. Like I ended a sentence with a preposition or what words I'm overusing too much. I really have an issue with the word that. I use that all the time. And I also misspell the word the. I'll have to look into that. See, right there, right there. Pro writing aid can help you with that. So I highly recommend it. There are so many different tweaks, uh, tools inside of ProWritingAid that you can use to, to help your writing, to publish your writing before you send it to an editor. However you use it, just use it. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I am joined by Paddy Finn. Paddy is a full-time content creator and runs Starcane Press and Penny Dragon Games. He's a science fiction and fantasy author and TTRPG game designer. He's been focused on Kickstarter recently and sees a lot of untapped potential in the platform for indie authors and other creators. Hello and welcome. Wow, thanks very much for the nice intro. <laughs> <laughs> You're most welcome. So what does, so I know what RPG stands for. Well, uh, well, I actually possibly don't know what the actual letters are, but I know what RPG is. Um, what is TT? Tabletop. Ah, so. okay. Tabletop RPG games. What is yeah. RPG? It's not, yeah, what is... It's like a role-playing game. So I can think of it as like a, a choose-your-own-adventure novel where you, you collectively tell a story together around a table, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Dungeons and Dragons style. Yeah, exactly. Oh, lovely. My wife is now cleaning her car outside. I don't know if you can hear that, but I might mute myself whilst you talk. <laughs> <laughs> I actually can't. <laughs> oh, you can't. Oh, okay, well, that's pretty good. Um, okay, well, thank you for joining me. Uh, before we dive into Kickstarter, would you like to tell everyone a little bit about you and your journey and how you got to where you are today? Sure, and, and thanks for having me. Um, I'll give you guys the, I suppose, the short story instead of a long one, but... I started out in 2016 publishing my own novels. Um, I started with science fiction. Um, so I started out in the indie author space, if you want to call it that, and eventually worked my way up to becoming um, a full-time uh, indie author. And I left my very lucrative full-time career, IT career, in 2018, November. So that was uh, scary. 
And I kind of, I guess, fast forward a few years, um, I saw a few opportunities sort of related to, but sort of also on the fringes or outside of the indie author space, kind of like related industries where, you know, I, I kind of looked at the industry, the indie author industry and where it had gone and saw that there were these other industries that were perhaps less developed and where the indie author industry was several years ago. So there was still a lot of opportunity for growth and opportunity for, you know, to, to capitalize on that growth from um, a business perspective. So I kind of tapped into that last year. Um, so I'm sort of straddling this line between indie author and game development. So like, you know, writing novels and then creating tabletop RPGs for Dungeons and Dragons and other games like that. And um, the the RPG thing, the Kickstarter Dungeons and Dragons thing got a lot of, a lot of attention in 2021. Um, so we're going to be swinging back a little more in the coming year to sort of like try and split a 50-50 between novels and Dungeons and Dragons. I was going to ask, because obviously I know I've been following from afar on Facebook, uh, but I wasn't sure if you were still novel writing, because it seems like Kickstarter's a full-time job. Like, oh my goodness, there's so yeah. much work involved. Yeah, I had, well, the first, <laughs> we'll get into it later, I suppose, but yeah. Um, okay, and so I guess kind of speaking about full, Kickstarter being a full-time job, I don't know a huge amount about Kickstarter. I know the concept that somebody has a product or a thing and you sort of get funding in advance for it. But for those who maybe haven't heard about Kickstarter or only have a loose understanding like me, can you give us a bit more detail and tell everyone about the platform and like why you think indies ought to pay a bit more attention to it? Yeah, so it is a lot of work. I will say that up front. However, I will also say that Kickstarter is an amazing platform, and I do think indies can make a lot more use out of it than I'm currently seeing. And I have seen more indies sort of start to, to work their way into Kickstarter and sort of dip their toes in and test it out and, you know, see what this thing is. And that's really nice to see. And I, I foresee that happening a lot more in the future, which is great. But what is Kickstarter? It's, I guess it's fair, the basic way to put it is it's a crowdfunding platform. And what that means is, you pretty much put an idea out into the void or out onto the platform. And if the crowd or the audience there likes that idea, well, then they're going to help you fund that idea. So for example, you could do that with a novel. Um, I have this idea for an awesome series. I'm going to put it on the platform and see what kind of traction that gains. If it funds to, you know, my goal, then I will be able to, you know, that'll help me by the cover, the editing, you know, maybe even an audiobook or produce other IP related to that um to, to that series so there's a lot of potential to you know help you get started as an author but it is a lot of hard work in terms of you know you do need to bring a certain amount of your own traffic and i know we'll probably touch on marketing and stuff like that later on but it, it's it's a great community people think of it as just like this weird platform but it's actually a community and when you become part of that community that community can respond really well to your ideas and yeah, you know, new things can happen. Yeah, I didn't know it was a community. So that's like, that's news to me because I suppose I saw it a bit more like a fundraising version of Patreon where you need to bring your community. And I know you've mentioned that you do need to bring it, but the fact that there is a community there, that is not something that um, I realised. So I suppose my next question is, can anyone 
um uh, no not can anyone <laughs> can you run us can you run everyone through a basic kickstarter like where do you begin what do you need in place for it to run um and then you know as you run it and fund it how do you see it through to completion yeah that's a great um a great point so just a very brief rundown uh, and it's actually good that to have something like this because I remember when I started out with my first Kickstarter in February 2021. I was, I like didn't want to hit any buttons because I was afraid, oh, what you know, what's going to happen next? And no, no one's there to tell you what happens next. So I had a kind friend who came along and he he did some consultation with me. Um, I was very lucky to become friends with this guy. He, he had done several Kickstarters in the past, and he was able to sort of like hold my hand and give me a little bit of confidence and go, you know, it's going to be okay, Patty. This is what happens when you hit the, you know, the, this submit for review button. It's not the end of the world. So, um, so what you would do is you don't really have an idea, obviously, and that's going to be an idea that will resonate with an audience. So it could be you have, you know, uh, a newsletter with a bunch of readers who enjoy your books and you're going to start a new series and we'll just use a, a book series as an example i suppose um so what you will then do is you will go to kickstarter if you haven't created an account already you can do that and then you cre create a new project and it's actually very very straightforward um i think people have this misconception that this stage is a lot of work and there's a lot involved and it's scary and we don't know what it is, but it's actually so straightforward. It's it's all the bits later on down the line after the project has funded is where the work comes in, right? And some of the marketing up, up front too. But essentially you create your account, you have a page, uh, the Kickstarter wants you to create a little story, maybe put in some graphics, tell people what you're going to create. You know, you want to be clear in communicating what your idea or project or, or books are to your audience. Um, you give them a several tiers, so when com someone comes in, they can back, you know, to get just the, the just the ebook, you know, whatever, a couple of dollars. But if they want the paperback, then it's going to be, let's say, ten dollars. If they want the hardback, it's probably going to be twenty something dollars. I'm just pulling numbers out of the either here. It's whatever it is, but it's just to give you an idea that people can back at different tiers. And then when you're kind of ready um, and you're happy with that page, you can hit the submit for review button. And that'll go through an automated review process. And if kicks, if that finds any problems, it'll throw it off to a person. But eventually they'll come back to you within a few days normally and say, you know, yay, here is your project. We're happy with it. Now, at that point, you haven't launched it. So don't worry. You know, you don't, that, that was the bit where I was kind of really freaking out about it. I was like, have I hit this button? Does it launch? And I'm not ready. And it, it doesn't. So you end up getting an option to have a pre-launch page. And the pre-launch page is just some people can go and follow your project before you've launched it, which is a, a really important tool that we might speak about a little bit more later if we talk about marketing. And once you're ready, then after you've you know got enough followers on the page or built up you know some momentum in terms of marketing and everything's all tickety-boo, you can hit launch and your Kickstarter launches into the world and people can go and see it and see all the information on the nice page of design and you know, pledge and back your wonderful project and hopefully it funds and hits your goal and uh, yeah, and you get to create your awesome idea. And with the with the pledges and the funding, is there a set amount of time? Do you get to choose the amount of time? How does that work? Yeah, Kickstarter, the Kickstarter community are very forgiving in terms of time and production schedules and things like that. So they don't expect you to, you know, put up a project, 
to, to say you're going to write a novel and then you have that novel ready in a, in a week or in a month. They're happy to wait a year or even several years. Um, as long as you're upfront and clear about, you know, you can't tell them it's going to take six months and then, you know, a year later, you still haven't delivered. But if you know it's going to take a year, you tell them a year, then they're happy to wait. Okay, so you don't have to have things funded in a certain amount of time. Well, so when you launch a Kickstarter, you can choose how long you want the campaign to run. So ah. normally it's like 30 days, right? That's the usual limit. So you have 30 days to hit a certain amount of, let's say you want the $10,000 before you start creating writing this series and normally you want to try and hit that fairly early on in in the campaign um but that, that kind of comes into like launch strategies and things like that but you have 30 days essentially to hit your goal your target of ten thousand dollars let's say and once you hit that you then have you know it depends on what you set on the tiers you know if you had like a paperback and you say it's going to take 18 months to create that paperback then people are happy then to wait 18 months after the campaign is finished for that paperback. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, thank you. So there's a follow-up question from Matt, uh, from Matt, who says, is there a guide to Kickstarter campaigns to help beginners who've never done it before? Something like a Kickstarter for Dummies 101. Are there any resources that you know of? Or Yeah, that's a great question. Um, one book, I can only recommend one book because it's the only book I've read. And it is Kickstarter Launch Formula by Salvador Brigan, I think, or no, Brigman, Brigman. Yeah, I'm really good at butchering people's names. Tell me Sorry, that one Salvador. again. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, again. By, by Salvador Brigman. Um, and that's Kickstarter Launch Formula. I think there's also an audiobook on Amazon. So he, he's produced uh, the book and the audiobook and a few other bits and pieces. And I think he has a blog which goes really in depth into a lot of Kickstarter as well. And his book was pretty good. And then there's also a Facebook group um, called uh, Kickstarter Best Practices. I can recommend that. Those folks are really helpful. Um, they are Kickstarter people. Um, some of the mods work at Kickstarter and they're very happy to help anyone that is new. They've, they've been very helpful and understanding with me and you, the community in there is just, they just want to help people out. Right. Um, so they're great. I recommend them. And in terms of any other books, I haven't really, there are a few podcasts. Um, Bregman does one and he actually has a recommendation on his website, with like three different, you know, the three best podcasts he recommends so you might want to check that out awesome thank you so much for that and i'll, I'll see if i can dig out uh, a couple of links uh, to go with those uh, comments as well so thinking about kickstarter and choosing your project what are like the best projects are there some projects that work better than others is it better to do a game versus a, a book are there certain types of games that would work is it better to do a series or a standalone talk to me about the kinds of things that work well on kickstarter yeah that's a, another great question so it really depends on it's kind of like on amazon certain categories or, or genres do better than others right or, you know, they're, they're so different. You know, the, the romance genre is vastly different to, you know, military science fiction, for example. And you would approach creating those products different ways based on the differences in those audiences. So it is similar on Kickstarter. Um, they have categories, um, would be their equivalent of genres, I'd say. 
And one category would be literature. Um, so that's where you would, you know, place your product if it's going to be a book series. They also have uh, board games and tabletop games, which is, you know, one that I've used. Other ones are like gadgets and physical products. Um, so you could pretty much put anything up there. In terms of what's best, it, it really depends on what your audience wants. You need the, the best project is the best one for the people who who want the project, right? So you kind of have to figure out well, what what do my people want? You know, do do my re well, my readers. I've built up this following of readers and audience and community around my books. Do they will they appreciate a hardback cover? Okay, if, if it, like a, a limited edition foil and beautiful design and all those things. Is that something they want? And if it's a yes, then put it on Kickstarter, launch it, and see how it does. Um, maybe it's, you know, they just, they want a new series or they want to see this other character developed in, in their own sort of like side series or, you know, I'm just trying to think of it in terms of books, but the, the literature category is, let's say newer in terms of the community. It's, it's, it hasn't grown as big as others. However, there is a lot of potential and some people have done quite well on it. So for example, like, on the D&D stuff, it's very easy to launch Kickstarter and make 20 plus thousand, right? Um, and a lot of companies make over a million. There's, there are multiple projects every year that make over a million dollars. Was, and was Brandon just, Sanderson a, a, a Kickstarter or was he something else? No, he definitely was a Kickstarter. And ah. that's, yeah, I was going to use him as an example of someone who has done really well for himself. I think he did 2.5 million or thereabouts dollars. I think it was more like six. Oh, was it six? Okay. Yeah, it was so a I'm, ridiculous. I'm yeah, it was ridiculous that's, money. Yeah, and that's in the literature category, which generally is not as well developed as the, as the Dungeons and Dragons site. So that's a great sign that people are willing to, you know, invest in Kickstarter in the literature market. Yeah, I'm just double checking now to make sure that uh, I didn't come up with a completely wrong. I'm sure I heard it was something <laughs> ridiculous. Like, no, it was six million seven hundred and eighty-eight thousand five hundred and seventeen dollars. Fuck me. That's madness. But and the thing is, imagine. <laughs> yeah, imagine just imagine getting like I. What there was a guy um, who uh, runs another small publishing company similar to mine. He's been doing it a lot longer and has, you know, a, a more dedicated and bigger following because of that. But he launched one back, it was two, three months ago, and it, and it made uh, just short of a million dollars, you know? And he, he's someone who, I mean, he's no, he's no, he has nowhere near the celebrity of Brandon Sanderson, for example. And you may have people looking at that going, oh, yeah, of course, it's Brandon Sanderson. Of course, he's going to, you know, make millions and millions on Kickstarter because he's got a huge following. But... If you think of it in terms of percentages, like imagine you could you could tap into even one percent of that audience. That's still pretty significant in terms of you know what you could do for your business. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so how did you come up with your goals and your tiers before you started your project? Right. So I had no idea what I was doing when I started. I had I did not have a clue. Um, I had the, I had the same question. It's like what I, I I I've looked at Kickstarters and I see people doing tiers and stretch goals and stuff, but I don't know how to do those. So what I I actually did the same thing I did with when I launched my indie novel career, indie publishing career, which was I started small, and this has become a big thing that I 
try to tell other people when they approach me and ask about Kickstarter. So when, when I started out in indie publishing, instead of writing a novel, I wrote a, a tiny, itty bitty short story collection that was like, you know, 20 pages long or something ridiculous. And that was just my way of dipping my toes in and f figuring out, well, what does it feel like to upload something to Amazon? What does it feel like to sell your first whatever? What does it feel like to collect an email address in exchange for this tiny little document? And that was, you know, a lot of learning happened with that tiny little document, even though it was small. And then I took those lessons and applied them to novels. So it's the same thing with Kickstarter. I would, I kind of started out really small. We were going to start with a really big project that we wanted to, you know, take north of $100,000. And we had it all sort of laid out and ready and, and planned. And then I kind of got cold feet and I was like, hold on a minute. I don't know if, you know, I've not done this. So first I want to run a tiny little Kickstarter with zero expectations. If it makes, you know, a thousand or $2,000, I'll be really happy. Um, if I lose money, I don't care because it's investing in my education. And it actually, I think it came out over $4,000. So it sort of broke even it lost a little bit, I think, um, in the long run, but again, that was fine. But what that did was it allowed me to learn what, what it was to do a tier or to do a stretch goal. And, you know, because I kept it really small, it, there, there wasn't this huge pressure if I got it, got it wrong. Right. So what Thankfully, was the project? The project was um, Mag of Holding uh, Frozen Wastelands. I can probably grab it here, actually. If I don't knock everything down off the shelf. Um, so I created this thing, oh, which wow. is a hundred and, I don't know if you can see it, hundred and something page kind of like publication with loads of art and maps and writing and lore and... Um, yeah, like monsters and just the stuff Dungeons and Dragons people love, you know? Yeah. Excellent. And so how did that, what did you learn from that in terms of then making goals and tiers? How did you determine what kinds of things to put in each one? Yeah, it was, it kind of taught me where the tolerances were and things like that. So, and also what people want and what people are happy to pay for. Yeah. Um, because I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're if you're creating something awesome, uh, people are happy to pay, you know, whatever they, they want to pay for it. So, for example, this thing it started out as a twelve page. I was like, let's make a twelve page book, and then it, it ended at like hundred and I can't I don't know what exactly, but one hundred and fifteen pages, one hundred and sixteen pages or something. So it just kind of grew and grew and grew into this huge mammoth that it wasn't supposed to be and that's why we ended up doing so many kickstarters last year because we wanted to keep making them because people asked for more so what do we learn in terms of like money it was like we charge way too much in the first one or sorry we charge way too little rather um way too little for what we were creating but that taught us that lesson and then we were able yeah. to go into the next one and go okay we, we need to charge more for example so what are some of the things that you put in each tier like what did you yeah yeah so what is like you know digital only product okay um a pdf for dungeons and dragons if you're doing a, a novel it's going to be an ebook um and then another tier would be a physical copy plus the ebook and then you could have like a collector's edition higher up you charge a bit more for that then you could have you know like um we have one where you can work with us and our artists to create a piece of art 
featuring the characters of your players that you play with at your table. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so you could do something like that and, you know, pay a little bit extra on this tier and we will include a character in a novel based on, you know, named after you or, you know, uh, based on something you want to help us to create. And, and then there's, we have other things like where, where it's, you can be an executive publisher and get a credit and additional copies and, you know, just trying to think of what, what, what do people value and what, what would they want? Yeah, no, that's really helpful. Thank you. What mis- Have you made any mistakes? Or if you haven't and you were lucky not to make any mistakes, have you seen any sort of friends, colleagues, uh, Kickstarter-y people make mistakes? Um, yeah, like what kinds of stuff did you learn? I mean, I think one of the biggest lessons, and you've, you've, you've already said it there, is so sensible, is to start with a little project. I think that's genius. But yeah, I'm curious if there's anything else uh, kind of mistakes-wise that, you, that you've learned or, or managed to avoid. <laughs> 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 no, I could be. We could talk about the mistakes I made all day long. <laughs> um, the, no matter how cautious you approach things, you can't avoid making mistakes, right? Um, you can't avoid some level of failure. That's just part of success. If you're going to be incredibly successful at something, you're probably going to, you know, fail incredibly at some things somewhere along the way. And one of the big things were, um. The second Kickstarter, which was going to be the first, you know, the big one, but we, we did a little one and, and then learn our lessons and then went into the big one. Um, I'm very ambitious when it comes to growing things. And I wanted it to be, you know, this huge, hum- humongous thing. And I was really excited about it, poured a lot of energy into it. And one of the mistakes I made, one, one among many, was relying on the biggest influencer so sometimes you can think oh there there's a golden bullet right or a golden ticket and if i could just get this person to promote my thing if i can get brandon sanderson for example or another big author in your genre to to promote my book with their audience it's going to be it's going to do this and then you invest you know the resources and the effort to making that happen and it doesn't pan out as well as you expected that can be a mis- that was a mistake I made. So the recommendation I would make, and this is actually conventional wisdom in, in most um, you know kind of similar spaces, is kind of search out a few smaller influencers that you want to help promote, or you know uh, you want you want them to promote you instead of going after this you know the the unicorn or the golden cow or whatever it is. Um, Hitch. Don't don't expend so much effort going after one big thing. Go after several smaller influencers or uh, colleagues and ask them to help. And generally, that works out a lot better. Yeah, no, I love that. And 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 I think following on from that, Judith Mortimer says, "Do Kickstarters for books work if you're not a known name?" Um, she said, I've, I've supported some anthology Kickstarters, but they only really seem to succeed if they have a named writer involved with them. So that's sort of leading on from what you were just saying there. So, yeah, do you have to be a name or can you can you build as you go? Like, Yeah, it's a good, great question. Um, I guess you have to ask yourself, what does it mean to be a name? You know, to be a name, a known name or a known author. You know, does that mean you have 100,000 people or... 10,000 or a thought, you know, I suppose the thing with Kickstarter is it will, it'll, if you put effort in, 
it will put in the same amount of effort. So if you bring, I don't know, let's say 10,000 people, which seems like a lot, or even like a thousand, right? If you bring a thousand people to your page, um, it's going to bring a thousand people, right? Um, or it's not exact, but it's going to put in the same amount of effort that you put in in terms of getting organic growth. So obviously, you know, if you're a named author and you have a bigger following and that's going to help bring more people, then that's going to show Kickstarter, you know, oh, I'm going to bring more people too because this person's bringing loads of people to the table. So there is an element of you do have to bring something. You can't just show up a Kickstarter with zero and expect them to, you know, put your project in front of people. You have to meet them halfway. And yeah, so whatever that is, you can expect it to sort of double almost. Okay. And um, so before uh, JP's got some questions for you, but before we dive into those, what what are the the differences between marketing a Kickstarter and, and marketing a book, I suppose, because you're you're where you wear the indie author hat and, and a Kickstarter <laughs> hat now. How the bloody hell do you find people to support your Kickstarter? <sighs> That is that is the question. <laughs> it is the question. <laughs> that is the question. Yeah. So what I have found, and there are many similarities between indie author and indie game designer, let's say. Um, and I think there are lots of you know cross skills that you can take from between many different categories. But building a, a mailing list is a huge one. For example, that's something you do, you know, you're recommended to do as an indie author is build your newsletter, build your mailing list, get, you know, get as many people on that as possible. That as a direct channel that you have to your, your people. And that is also a, an extremely powerful tool in using with Kickstarter. Now, Kickstarter has the, the first Kickstarter can be especially difficult because what happens you find after you've run one is you know you had to bring a lot of the stuff you have to bring a lot of the people and a lot of the resources but with the second one kickstarter is going to reach out to all the people that backed your first one for you and yeah. let them know that you're running another one and then when you've run a third one it's going to reach out to the people from the first two and let them know so you could you can sort of see just from me describing that that it's going to quickly ramp up momentum and build your audience even just within the kickstarter it's called ecosystem you know with even without your newsletter but your newsletter is going to help or your mailing list is going to also help immensely i would say the third thing is you know reaching out to other people other influencers that are maybe just like a, a little bit ahead of you and asking them for help you're sometimes go, if, you can even go up a little bit further you know to people who you know, have a YouTube following or, or an Instagram following, and you may have to pay them a little bit to promote your stuff and sponsor them. That can help as well. Yeah. And are they, I, I'm, I'm guessing they wash their face and they are profitable. And that the art of that is in the pricing of the tiers. Yeah. 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 It could be very easy to sort of set tiers really low and you're kind of afraid to ask people to pay for something, you know, it's a, it's a typical creative thing, right? You're afraid to ask for money. You're afraid to ask for help, but you'll find that people, the audience on Amazon are there to buy a book, right? On KDP, but the audience for Kickstarter are there to be a part of something and they want to see that something succeed. And they want to, they want to, they want to see, you know, you're promising them you're going to create this thing. And they're like, okay, well, I'm here to support that because it isn't there yet. 
I want to be part of it. I want to, I, I want to be, you know, how many people are out there who, who, you know, want to write a book, but never will. And they'll, they'll take that to, to their deathbed. You know, I, I wish I'd written a book and I didn't like, so you're giving people a little bit of, of that experience of writing this book or being involved in writing a book. So you're sort of selling them a bit of a dream and mm. people are often willing to part with a bit more in terms of, you know, finance when it comes to building something like that. Yeah. Okay. Amazing. Right. Um, some questions from JP. Actually, I may have slipped some other ones from JP in, but uh, JP <laughs> says, if your project involves physical goods, is there a specific company or person or people um, that you prefer over others and why sort of in terms of, I guess, delivery? Oh, great question. Or creation and delivery, I suppose. Yeah. So physical goods is a tricky one. That's a whole new game, right? Because as an indie author, you use print on demand for your physical stuff most of the time. And, you know, whether that be uh, KDP or is it lightning, is lightning source still around or is it? In, yeah. Lightning source Ingram spark. Yeah. Ingram, okay. Yeah. So, you know, you use that kind of service and then, you know, the, the thing with that is your, your margins are pretty slim because they take up, they front most of the costs. So you get a little bit of a, of a royalty on those. Um, so, you, you know, naturally then eBooks and digital content becomes more of a, an attractive proposition for you as an indie author, because you're going to get more of a royalty from that. So you kind of don't do a lot of the physical side of the things, but when it comes to Kickstarter, you don't have to include physical products, but it helps because people love to hold something in their hand. Um, you do have this, you're faced with these challenges in terms of fulfillment and shipping and, you know, production. And it can seem very daunting and overwhelming. And that's because it kind of is, there's no way to get around that. You do have to build relationships with people. Um, you have to learn about print. If, if you don't, I mean, you can still use print on demand. You can, you can plug these things into Ingram Spark in the end and, they'll still fulfill, but then you're, you're, again, your profit margins are going to be smaller. Um, whereas if you, if you get like a thousand backers, you'll find that if you go to your printer and ask them for a thousand books and generally a thousand is the minimum you can get from a printer, you'll be surprised at how, how cheap it is to print those books versus, you know, just doing a handful. Um, so yeah, there, there are a lot of companies out there. Uh, for example, in the gaming side, you have uh, Easy Ship, Game Quest. They will help you ship things. We use a partner called Nord Games, who are a publisher, but also have a warehouse in California, and they help us fulfill all of our stuff. So we 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 a lot of people in our space get their stuff printed in China, but because of um, a lot of the uh, supply chain issues that we're seeing at the minute we and also because we don't want to wait months for our stuff to get to our people our, our backers we get our stuff printed in um canada now it costs a little bit more but it also gets there much quicker and they're very reliable um so we, we get our stuff printed in canada sent to california and then nord games who are amazing uh send all of our stuff out to our people and yeah, so it's a, it's a matter of building relationships with those people and asking around in your space, you know, uh, asking people who've done it before, okay, so who have you used and how did you do this? And just, you know, build a relationship with other creators and find out what they did and what worked for them and try and sort of emulate that. Okay, I have no idea what the next question means, so I'm very interested to find the answer. <laughs> but JV says your campaigns include the use of D&D &D 5E. That's the bit I don't know what that means. What hoops have you had to go through in order to legally use that system for your commercial products? 
Okay, so Dungeons and Dragons fifth edition. So that's the. Uh, oh, oh, okay. Yeah. I was like, is there some kind of weird point system? What is it? Is it a monster? <laughs> <laughs> a weird dragon? I don't know. Like, yeah, fifth edition. That makes so much more sense now. <laughs> Duh. I'll have to get you to play it. Play a game of D and D sometimes. That would be fun. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah. So that's a good question. You know. Dungeons and Dragons is owned by a company called Wizards of the Coast, who are in turn owned by Hasbro, the toy company. And Wizards of the Coast have this thing called the Open Gaming License. And the Open Gaming License is really good. It's um, it looks pretty intimidating when you look at it at first. It's but it's actually it's kind of like legal speak, right? Any legal document can look very. It's like oh, I don't know what that means, but it's only two pages long. And then it uh, attached to that is something called the System Reference Document, and it or the is it the standard the SRD is, is the abbreviation, but it's kind of like here are all the things you're allowed to use, and the OGL, which is only two pages long, is is, is very clear if you sit down and read it, and it's a nice provision for company third parties like me to come along and take, you know, the D and D game and make it our own and create our own content for that. So as long as we abide by the OGL Open Gaming License, we're okay. Um, if you sell things, there's there's a benefit to it's kind of like KDP. You know, if you do, if you sell things on KDP and you become exclusive, you're allowed to use Kindle Unlimited. So you get a nice little benefit there. You get more readers and, you know, a little bit of extra income from a different audience. Dungeons and Dragons do something similar. They have something called um, DMs Guild, which is their online store. And if you use them exclusively, you know, you get extra perks in terms of you know, leeway with the OGL. You don't have to use the open gaming license. You can do there's a, there's a lot more freedom. You can you can use a lot more of their stuff. So you do have to be careful uh, when licensing is involved. And in the future, we're going to be licensing other products and also licensing some of our own stuff. So there'll be a lot more on that in the future. But yeah, it's one of those things. It, it can be. You just need to be make, make sure you're following the rules. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, neither of us are lawyers, so we do advise you <laughs> yes. to get advice from a lawyer if you are ever unsure about anything or if signing contracts or trying to get licenses. Please do uh, check with the appropriate type of lawyer, not just your mortgage lawyer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> OK, well, um, this is the Rebel Author Podcast. So tell everyone about a time you unleashed your inner rebel. <laughs> oh, how long have we got? Um, <laughs> I guess it, it isn't like a, a huge sort of wow kind of example, but I know I've listened to the podcast and sometimes I hear people, you know, kind of recite their experiences and it's like, oh, wow, <laughs> that's, that's so badass. Um, I, I guess when I started out in the indie author space and started writing, you get a lot of, I mean, everyone gets this, you get naysayers, get you know, and sometimes that can be family and friends or whoever. And they're like, you know, you're, what are you doing? You're crazy. You're leaving your job to, you, sh you have a real job and you're going to this fake job. What's wrong yeah. with you? You know? Fake job. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I know they say, you know, find something you love and you'll never work another day in your life. But I like to say, <laughs> You'll work more Every than you've day. ever worked yeah. in your life. Yeah. Every fucking day of your life, yeah. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, I mean, I, I had a few people who were like, you know, I, I kind of played my cards close to my chest when it came to, 
you know, starting out because you are very, there's a bit of trepidation. You're like, do I want to tell people? But eventually you're going to tell family or friends, you know, and, and I was expecting a bit more support from people and did not get that support. I think that's a very common thing. And the main culprit was my sister. So if I ever brought up the, you know, writing a book or a novel or, or making a living at some point doing that to my sister, she would just, she would laugh at me. She would laugh her head off. And, um, but I, I started using that as a tool. Um, and that, that tool was, I, I hate people telling me what to do. Right. But more than that, like, I hate people telling me what I can't do. So if you tell me I can't do something, you better fucking believe I am going to do it. (laughs) (laughs) And my sister was telling me I can't do it. So I did it. So that's like a big thing. What a love of a sibling rivalry. Um, (laughs) I I have lots of half brothers and sisters and a stepsister. So I have two half brothers, a half sister and a stepsister. And we are all ferociously competitive so like our family app is just like constant like smack talk against each other and like (laughs) who's the best and i'm always like well motherfuckers i'm the firstborn (laughs) i'm always gonna be number one baby (laughs) i love it i'm the firstborn too so yeah yeah. First one for the win. Uh, yeah, and, and that usually tends to shut them all up because there's not literally nothing they can say. Brilliant. Uh, amazing. Right, okay, well, tell everyone where they can find out more about you, your books, your Kickstarters, what's coming up. Yeah, where can everybody find you? Anything else you'd like to add? Yeah, not at all. Yeah, well, one thing to add, I would like to, anyone listening to us who's been sitting on the fence about Kickstarter, or maybe it's the first time you've heard about it, I would recommend that you you look into it. You know, it might seem like, oh, I'm already doing all this KDP stuff and this, you know, writing novels and it's already a lot of work. But Kickstarter, I feel, is going to... It, let's put it this way. It's kind of where indie publishing was 10 years ago. So can you imagine if you started publishing books 10 years ago where you would be today? <laughs> like, I mean, so it's kind of like that. Uh, so I recommend you look into it, learn a little bit, see what see what the the fuss is. Maybe maybe try a little mini itty bitty t- tiny Kickstarter to see how it goes, and you'll I, I I almost I can almost guarantee that you'll learn it. Well, I'll, I'll guarantee you'll learn a huge amount, but you'll also kind of like get this little flame, this little fire, and catch the catch the thing, and you'll just want to keep making more because it's so much fun, and the community is so awesome on there. Um, so def- I encourage people to give it a go. But if people want to find anything else about me, you can check it out, check my website, pattyfin.com. Um, I'm on uh, Kickstarter, obviously, Patty Finn as well. So if you just put Patty Finn in most places, uh, you- you'll find me. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time today. And of course, a giant thank you to all of the show's patrons and all of the show's listeners. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. I'm Sasha Black. You are listening to Paddy Finn and this was the Rebel Author Podcast. Next week, I am joined by September C. Forks, and we have an amazing discussion on what voice is, how to create it, and how to give your characters that sparkling, memorable voice that we are all chasing after. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review. 